Hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interested in discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and delighted to be joined by Mark Henry. Uh, Mark is an author, a speaker, and the Central Marketing Director for Tourism Island, which is the public body responsible for marketing the island of Ireland overseas. Uh, Mark also trained as a psychologist, which uh, led to the research and strategy functions of Irish technology companies uh, before turning to work in, in the tourism industry. Uh, Mark spent two decades at this stage, I think, telling people all over the world what a great country Ireland is. And Mark, I know, is very passionate about sharing the incredible, incredible uh, progress that Ireland has made. So let's let's go on. Let's get on to the show because I've got a lot I want to ask Mark. And uh, Mark, you're very welcome. Hey, thank you for being here, Simon. Pleasure. Uh, let's start with the let's start with the big news. Let's start with the book, uh, the new book that you have. Uh, it took you two and a half years of research and writing, from what I understand which is an awful long time to get to that final proof stage uh, of a book. And the book is, in fact, uh, An Optimist Guide to Ireland at 100. Uh, so uh, a great a great title for a book. And of course, why wouldn't it be that, uh, given your background and your career? And I know the book is now published and it's available online and in all leading bookstores and you're, you're sort of doing the media circuit and everything you'd expect with a book launch. So... Could you, for our audience of listeners and people watching us here, whether live or recorded, can you share with our audience what, what the book's about, what's the essence of the book, and why did you feel the need to write this? Great. Now, look, there's a great book that's out there pre precedes me called Factfulness. I mean, many of you might have come across it. It was uh, in 2018, 2019. Bill Gates gave a free copy to every graduate student in the States. At one point, he thought it was a great book. Why? because it was saying the world is improving despite what you think. I read the book. It was, it was a great, a short book. I highly recommend it. And I was taking a global perspective. I thought, well, well, that's true. The world is improving. But you know what? Things in Ireland are improving even more so, despite often what the, the media coverage would lead us to believe. So I started to dig into this, started to, to look at the same data sets for Ireland to say, well, how, how has life for Irish people improved? And of course, next year, yes, we have a, a big anniversary, a big birthday. It's our 100th anniversary of a, a, as an independent nation. So I said, right, well, 100th anniversary, let's look at 100 remarkable things that Ireland has achieved in its first century. And, you know, the evidence is there absolutely to support that. The United Nations says that Ireland has the second highest quality of life on the planet today. The second highest. Why? Because they say, well, you know, we live longer. Uh, than ever before. In fact, we live 25 years longer than people did 100 years ago at the foundation of the state. They say we're highly educated. Indeed, the numbers of people coming uh, out with third-level qualifications, in fact, the number of people, adults with third-level qualifications in Ireland has doubled in just 20 years. Uh, it's now the majority. More than half of our working adults have a third-level qualification, one of the highest in the world. And the UN also said, well, of course, also Ireland's income levels are very high, so people have the, the means to live a long, fulfilled life. And indeed, they do. Obviously, our incomes are, are, are fairly high. In fact, uh, we've earned five times more in real terms uh, than our grandparents did. So and all the criteria that you care to look at, economic, health, and broader, political, I look at economic, uh, educational, I mentioned, on all these criteria, Ireland is doing extraordinary well, has seen extraordinary progress. And indeed, in the UN ranking, they first started in the 1990s, uh, Ireland was 23rd. We're now second. 
no other developed nation has had such extraordinary growth in terms of its quality of life over those last 20, 30 years. That's that's incredible, Mark. Just those stats are, are, are mind-blowing. And the little sign that you have behind you, it truly is an optimist guide to Ireland at 100, absolutely. And I wanted to maybe just touch on a couple of points that you said there, because when the Irish state was formed back in 1922, um, Ireland was probably one of the most poverty-stricken poverty nations in Europe. Uh, talk about a transformation, of course. Um, and now it, you mentioned that it's got the second, with the second highest ranked in quality of life, which is which is incredible when you think about the short period of time in relative terms that that has that has passed. Um, but I wanted to ask you maybe a flip question to that, which is, what do you think are the next challenges that Ireland needs to address if it's going to maybe sustain that progress? And maintain its position because we're, we're flying pretty high in that ranking at the moment but from your perspective you've looked at all the facts and the figures what do we need to do or what are the challenges that you see to, to maintain that mark yeah because who's number one it's norway so they're going to be they're going to be tricky to beat uh, okay so, so yeah yeah there's a risk that we might in the next rankings uh, drop a bit but i suppose in the book i was trying to answer the question all right look at all these remarkable achievements and, and they're there they're evidenced and they're explained as to how we achieved each of them, but, but what's the underlying factors? Like, why did Ireland overall do so much better than other nations over recent decades? Uh, and to me, this holds the answer to the future as well. You know, the, I identified four factors basically that accounted for Ireland's extraordinary success. I mean, one was our stability as a nation. So we've had a hundred years, yeah, and it'll be a hundred years of unbroken democracy, uh, which is, uh, in fact, only the case in a dozen countries uh, around the globe. There's been a good and strong uh, institutions of state uh, over that period. You know, they, they work and they function, they generally function well. And that has encouraged, of course, people to start businesses, people to invest. And we haven't had strong policy shifts to the left or to the right. We've fairly centrist governments, and for better or for worse, that stability has delivered for Ireland. That's one of the factors. And again, to the future, that can, sustaining that's going to be important. The second factor was our community, our sense of community. We have a very strong sense of community in a relatively small country. So there are good, strong levels of trust between uh, each other. Uh, that's integral in terms of ensuring a sense of fairness, which has been a contributing factor that as our economy has improved, as our economic boats have risen, everybody's has risen. Income inequality in Ireland has decreased over the last 20 years, unlike other nations. And again, I put that down to that social cohesiveness, that strength of community we have. Again, a great foundation. And again, important to nurture this as we go forward. But I think it was that, that education in particular that you know was the, the water that fertilized the fertile ground there and helped us to, to grow up and to, uh, to fulfill our potential. I mean, this fact that, as I say, uh, more than half of adults now working age have a third level qualification. It's nearly unrivaled uh, in the Western world. And then last but not least, our openness as a nation. We're always a small nation, uh, but we opened up significantly over the last uh, 30 or 40 years to our membership of the European Union. Uh, and, and that opening up in particular allowed both Irish people to go flourish on the world stage, whether it was culture or arts, music, uh, or also or, or our Irish pub network, a great success story all around the world. But also, of course, we're open for in influences to come into the country. And opened our mindsets that let us look and learn from what was happening elsewhere in the world. And of course, we invited in investment. And all of that helped. Uh, the, all, uh, all of those four things came together 
I think, in a very positive way. That's Ireland's magic formula that has unlocked uh, that growth. And nurturing that, uh, now that we're so successful, is the important thing. We mustn't forget what got us here. Holding that open disposition as a nation uh, is going to be important. Preserving that investment in education, it's not what it was. Our investment in education at third level per student is actually half what it was before the last Great Recession. So we're tripping up there. And likewise, you know, that, our, that sense of community, that sense of community, I would say, is under threat a little bit at the moment due to the housing crisis, due to the last economic uh, cycle we had, due to the recession. There was not, there were not houses not being built, really, to meet demand for the last 10 years. And that really is struggling uh, or causing a struggle for young people in particular to get on the, social, uh, get on the housing ladder. And if they don't do that, well, then that threatens that social cohesiveness as we, as we go into our second century. But I think overall, if we understand and nurture those factors that, is, that have got us here, then I'm really optimistic that we can successfully tackle them into the next generation. We've never had a better educated generation to do it. That, that's incredible. And there's some great facts in there. And it, it kind of made me wonder um, what surprised you the most when, you, when you're looking at all this data. Are there any that sort of stuck out? That you just went that that's incredible or, or you know uh from any any shape you're talking a lot there about the the irish diaspora around the world of course the irish technology companies that have been very successful globally internationally and whether it's technology or travel or retail or life sciences there's an awful lot going on from an irish perspective internationally but you've also talked about sort of that inward as well as the outward presence of that but what were the what was the data mark or was there anything that sort of jumps out where it sort of surprised you? Well, I, I think there was, to be honest with you, a lot that surprised me when you look at the scale of the change. But I'll tell you something that I, I was a little bit left of field that I was really pleasantly surprised at, uh, which is that the kids are all right. Uh, the next generation, our kids today, are honestly uh, having a, a very positive life, and that's reflected in their behaviours. So, for example, uh, the use of, of illicit drugs or alcohol has plummeted the amount of kids who are smoking in just 20 years. The drop or have tried cigarettes has dropped from three quarters to under a quarter. And the small number who were using cannabis has halved. Those using alcohol is still high, but it's on the way down. In terms of juvenile crime, again, it's halved in 20 years in terms of the cases coming for the criminal court or people, youth who are engaged uh, uh, with the, the criminal forces. Um, teen pregnancy is, is nearly completely eliminated for those under the age of 18. It was a big factor. Uh, 30 years ago uh, and our you know the kids activities in terms of sports and so on is actually very good in the european context so i think you know overall the kids are all right i mean i actually end the book with, with a quote that i found in the study of optimism is comparing uh, countries across the globe in terms of um, uh, optimism and what factors were contributing to that and what how countries were ranked and the, the study concluded that the most optimistic people in the world may be young economically secure, educated women in Ireland. I, I mean, that was an amazing conclusion for me. And it says to me that we are doing the right things by the next generation, and they're going to do the right things by this country and help ensure that, as I say, it meets the challenges successfully that face them in turn. That's very interesting because it, it, those aren't the kind of things that you hear an awful lot in the media. Um, that's kind of not the narrative. That's not the story, is it? So. Uh, yeah, they're great points. Thank you for sharing those, Mark. Um, the, the, I suppose when you, obviously this is the hundred years, Mark. And when, if you were to, if you were to be able to project and say, well, 
what do you want Ireland to be recognised of in the next 100 years? What would be sort of the lofty goals or the or the thinking around that? Because we've come we've come a heck of a way, haven't we? Yeah, and you know, I, I have a chapter there about our contribution to the world. You know, not just what we've done yeah. for ourselves. And, and I, I think there's a lot more to build on there. Uh, I mean, just recently the government announced uh, uh, overseas development aid for next year of a billion euros. Uh, now, we're not a huge country, but per capita, that'll put us in the top 10 countries uh, in terms of overseas development aid contributions, which I think is fantastic. Uh, we have a United Nations peacekeeping record that is unrivaled. We've got unbroken service since the 1950s. Uh, we have more peacekeepers uh, serving around the world, again, per capita, uh, than, than any other nation. And there was, a, there was a piece of work I talked about in the book done called the, uh, the Good Country Index uh, developed over the last few years that looked to see exactly this. What a contribution have nations made beyond their own borders, not to their own citizens, but beyond their own borders. And the first year this came out, Ireland was number one in the ranking. That's declined a bit since, which I, I spoke to the author about, interviewed him in the book, and he said, well, we really changed the criteria a bit. But, you know, Ireland is still well, well up the rankings there. I think to go up that chart, would be uh, my ambition for Ireland for at least the next few decades. And, and I think that there's a dimension in that that you know, we haven't tackled yet, which is our contribution to climate change. I have a chapter in the book about some of the things we've talked about, the challenges that face us for the next 100 years. And I put climate change there first, because all that, that, that positive development we had in terms of investment in education and building our economy, all that, we weren't keeping an eye on, on our environment. We weren't keeping an eye on our natural capital. Although we may be giving record amounts of money now to help other nations follow our path and develop. The point is that we don't curb those climate emissions. And of course, we're taking with one hand and giving back with the other. So there's a lot of work to be done on that. But as I say, we've got the smartest, most well-educated generation ever. I, I think we can face that challenge successfully. Ever the optimist, ever the optimist, Mark. That's fantastic. Um, so look, we're exploring these 100 remarkable sort of achievements over Ireland's first 100 years as, a, as an independent nation. Um, you've identified a number of four, four factors um, that account for Ireland's uh, sort of extraordinary success that we've been talking about here today. Um, and you've also touched on uh, five prominent psychological biases um, that prevent us from sort of easily acknowledging how far we've come. And I'd wonder if you could maybe highlight or maybe just expand on that a little bit, because I thought those were fascinating for our listeners. Yeah, I have a whole chapter on the book on, on why this stuff is hard to believe, because of course that's not the new cycle and that's not the common perception. Oh, you've never had it so good. No, 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 what about all these problems? Uh, and as you say, there are psychological uh, biases that, that drive us towards not seeing the full picture, towards not seeing the positive picture. And I, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of those, as you say. I mean, you know, one of the first psychological biases ever identified, actually, in the 1970s, uh, was a negativity bias. We prefer the negative. I mean, it, it makes sense in evolutionary perspective. You know, it was the, 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 the long ago ancestor who spotted danger, who you know, spotted the predator in the, in the high long grass that lived to tell the tale. So we are prone to seeing risk and to evaluating risk and to thinking of survival. And you know, that, that, that's where we've come from. Um, but you know, there's a good study done in, in Canada there, McGill University. Uh, I talk about where they, uh, they brought in volunteers and they sat them down at the computer and said, we're doing an eye tracking study. Uh, we're gonna get the eye uh, ca camera calibrated. You just sit down there and just browse through that website. There's a collection of news articles there. 
just browse through them there while we get the camera set up. And uh, in truth, of course, there wasn't any yeah, camera, nothing to do with that at all. It was to do with the news articles in front of them, which were perfectly balanced between negative and positive. And of course, you guessed it, people tend towards reading the negative news. And in fact, those who said they were most interested in current affairs were those who read more negative news articles than those who didn't. So that's our, that's our natural tendency. Uh, now, the problem, though, in, is that in our current environment, where we've got to in the last 20 years, is an always-on news cycle. It's 24-hour TV, and it's in our hand or in our pocket all the time. And the ability for us to absorb that negative news, to chase it down like never before, to, to absorb it and suck it in, is actually a little bit damaging. Again, it was a study done uh, by researchers who looked at the uh, Boston Marathon terrorist attack a few years ago. And they, they looked at people who followed the news cycle closely, yeah, say using social media, uh, using the news channels. Uh, and those people had higher levels of anxiety about the event than those who knew somebody who was there, and those who had a friend or relative who was actually at the event. Because we can go down a rabbit hole of doom scrolling and that actually isn't healthy for us. And that leads us to believe, oh my God, bad news is everywhere. There's more of it than ever before. More of this than I remember 10 or 20 years ago. Therefore, things are getting worse. And, and you know, the, the cycle is feeding a bit of our, or the technology, I should say, is feeding, allowing us uh, to, to amplify those natural biases. I mean, another one that, that's well known is this, uh, I call it progress attention deficit. Well, th think of that uh, a metaphor, you've heard it before, of they put the frog in the water uh, and they boil the water gradually. And the frog doesn't notice until it's too late and you know he's, he's boiled to, to, to smithereens. Doesn't happen in real life, I'm assured that the frog apparently always jumps out. But the analogy is saying, okay, well, the change can happen so slowly around you. It can be negative. You don't notice it, but the next thing, you're swamped. But if you turn that on its head, th th there is truth in that. But is it also true for positive progress? Our attention spans are very short. There was a study done uh, in the States. Um, they looked at uh, uh, Twitter weather tweets. They looked at 1.5 billion tweets, picked out 60 million uh, that had a weather-related thing did a huge weather-related comment. They did a huge piece of work to look at what the local temperatures were in the area where the person was uh, tweeting from to say, oh, it's really hot today, or it's really cold today. We never believed this weather. And they tried to say, well, how, how long are people talking about? What is their reference period here? And the answer is five years. Beyond five years, people forget what the weather was like. Something that would have been extraordinary compared to 10 years ago or when you were a kid. doesn't even matter. It doesn't even feature as a comment anymore. So we really have short attention spans, which don't help us see that positive progress over the longer term, actually. Uh, but again, makes complete sense when on average, up until the modern era, human beings only live for 35 years. You know, you, you grew up, you contributed something, you reproduced and you were gone. <laughs> so you didn't, change didn't happen. You lived the same life, your great, great, great grandfather did as well. That's not the case anymore. And our brains are not that attuned to spotting those longer term trends, hence the book, hence, in fact, let's put a bit of context around this, let's put a bit of facts around this, and actually take a bit of a step back and say, wow, you know, maybe some of my psychological biases are misleading me in truth about what's really happening. I find that fascinating, because you're absolutely right, you've only got to go back a small number of generations, and the average lifespan globally, in most, most places in the world, drops significantly. And through modern technology, modern medicine, different lifestyles, different eating patterns, different exercise patterns, we're all living longer. But the news cycle, that 24-hour media push, is just getting faster and faster and faster. And yet, 
it, it's interesting when you look at the the evolution of the species almost and how we how we've adapted in some degrees we've come an awful long way in others we're still catching up here um yeah. and uh, i think for anybody who's listening uh, to this who fancies a little bit of optimism they should certainly dive in because there's an awful lot of optimism in in this book around ireland at 100. there are reasons to be happy simon and uh, yeah we're going to have to wait till they give us those little brain implants that you know ensure that the, the rational part of the brain kicks in over the uh, over the emotional bit we've, we've a bit of a way very, to go but nice. that is the answer to all of those things when you look at the research what, what, how do you counter those biases the answer is you switch on your cognitive capability you stop just scrolling, you pause, you switch on the rationality, you, you apply logic, you apply uh, the context, and all of a sudden then you see things differently and actually more accurately. Very good. Um, and a lot more of that required, I think, in lots of areas. But thank you for sharing that. I can't let you go, uh, and I don't want to wrap up before we touch on another important aspect, because we talked a lot about the book here, and it, it is fascinating. Highly recommended to everybody who's listening. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about your sort of uh, the day-to-day -day role as well, because you, as the Central Marketing Director for Tourism Ireland, you're basically showcasing the, the country, you know, overseas, around the world. So maybe could you just tell us tell us a little bit about your responsibilities there because it's you know this this great sort of optimistic a hundred uh, years it's all fantastic but in your day to day job you've really got to get out there haven't you and spread that message so tell us a little bit about your role there Mark yeah yeah so tourism Ireland is kind of a unique body actually in a way uh, because it represents two countries it represents Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland overseas. So we're promoting uh, two destinations as a result of the, the peace process in Northern Ireland and the recognition that from a tourist perspective, borders don't really matter. Uh, if they're coming for a week-long holiday, they want to tour around and, you know, it's whatever the best thing is to see and do with the island of Ireland is what's going to uh, impact on, on their holiday-making choice. So we were set up 20 years ago, indeed, uh, uh, precisely so, and uh, I'm the central marketing director there. It has been 20 good years up until 2019 after 2020 i mean we had record visitor numbers uh, the island of ireland uh, had you know, more than 11 million visitors which on a per capita basis again is actually one of the highest figures uh, in the world we had very strong uh, uh, tourism revenues uh, more than six billion euros uh, earned for the sector across the island COVID, of course, has been a huge challenge <laughs> what needless to say it all went to zero from an overseas perspective um, it's climbing back slowly, uh, but we're quite optimistic. We have been ready for, to relaunch Irish tourism, to, to, to restart the sector uh, for, well, really for more than a year now. We're finally out there. Uh, we're spending significantly, encourage people to press the green button and come to the island of Ireland. So, you know, green for go, hey, green for the island of Ireland. This is the place you should be to restart uh, your tourism experiences overseas. So, so far, so good. I think there's a lot of optimism uh, about the year ahead. I think there are a lot of positive prospects with a lot of carriers bringing your routes back very quickly. They have the airplanes, they're sitting there. They want them in the skies. We can certainly see consumer demand is there. Uh, people have moved their mindset now into living with COVID. They're, they used to say, oh my God, COVID's high, I'm not gonna travel. With so much vaccination and so on around the world and safety measures in place, we've actually now seen people go, I'm gonna travel, COVID or no COVID next year. And that's an opportunity for the island of Ireland as it is everywhere else. But We'll be out there flying the flag for the island and doing our best to win our market share. 
Yeah, it's it's been very tough. I know one of the episodes that we did a little while ago was with uh, somebody who represented Sweden. And, uh, you know, sort of like what you're saying, that the job sort of flipped uh, completely because, you know, all of a sudden you couldn't bring anybody in. Uh, it just was off limits. Everything was shut down. Nobody was flying anywhere. And so all of a sudden they had to sort of completely go back and talk to their own citizens to to experience tourism within their own country. And I know I know uh, Tourism has done an awful lot around the staycation uh, model, uh, which has been a, a great help. But you mentioned as well, carriers like the US routes have opened up significantly, haven't they? Only very, very recently. So there's a lot changing very quickly in, when it comes to travel and hospitality. Yeah, exactly. I, th I think everyone switched to domestic holiday taking, which uh, is very positive and was great for, uh, as you say, our colleagues, for example, Tourism Northern Ireland who drive domestic uh, business up north. They did really well because they opened up before the Republic of Ireland did in terms of restrictions. They won a lot That's of business right. uh, within the Republic of Ireland then had a great uh, summer. But the summer is quite short uh, when you're talking about the domestic market. As soon as the kids go back to school, uh, that's basically when things start, start to shut down pretty quickly. Normally, international visitors fill that gap. September is actually the second busiest month in Ireland for international uh, tourists after July because uh, the capacity is there and they're still on their holidays and they love to come here. So the weather's not too bad. So, so we've, you know, we're hopeful that again, we're going to see a, a pretty, I don't want to say whiplash recovery, uh, but you know, there or thereabouts next year, you know, a, a significant and a meaningful return subject, of course, to the disease and where that, yeah. of course, that takes of course. us. Of course. And just while we're talking about nations as well, I mean, Ireland is absolutely deemed among uh, sort of a, a world leading brand when it comes to uh, the sort of the country stakes. But I discovered uh, that you you actually wrote a book about this uh, and it was titled, if I've got it right, Nation Branding, was it in Europe? Yes, I wrote, I wrote a Europe? chapter. I wrote the Ireland chapter. With the, okay, uh, okay. Yeah. Very yeah. good, because how, how countries are branded and people's perceptions of countries can be can be quite fluid. You've obviously got your government, politics, news, media, business, tourism. Everything plays a part in that country's story, doesn't it? See, and what is the best case? What is the best practice in terms of country branding? And my argument was, well, actually, you know, the right model can be dependent on the country. So a lot of people say, well, look at New Zealand. You know, it's, it's 100%. Uh, pure New Zealand, that's used on everything. Look at the great campaign for Great Britain, you know, that's used for culture and arts and tourism and investment and, you know, innovation and it's used for everything. Um, yeah, uh, we don't have that in Ireland. We don't have a single overarching brand. We have a food brand for uh, Borbia, the food organization. We have a, a tourism brand uh, for the tourism, uh, for Tourism Ireland to live with. We have a, 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 a foreign direct investment kind of a brand i suppose but uh, it's a lot more about the, the business facts that the uh, industrial development authority ida ireland use so so we have a sectoral approach but yet in each of those areas ireland is massively outperforming its competitors you know, that's the argument i'm making in terms of tourism numbers i mentioned earlier per capita one of the best in the world in terms of foreign investment uh, we are the second best in europe as my book says in terms of driving jobs uh, uh, per capita but actually, number one, when you look at the value of those jobs, num number one uh, in, in the world, actually, in the last 10 years in driving the value of foreign direct investment created jobs. So my argument is that, OK, there's no one size fits all here. An uh, 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 approach to um, nation branding that is about the experts in each sector doing the right thing 
to target their audiences uh, to promote their product, in our case, has proved more successful to date than having an overarching brand. And to me, that's as much a lesson for other other destinations as the as the book of case studies is, uh, and, and contrasts uh, with places like uh, Britain and, and Slovenia and others who follow the the single uh, nation branding model. So look, when it comes to the facts uh, and the the optimism and Ireland, you're you're a bit of the, you're the expert on this now, Mark. Um, but I wanted to ask you, and you may not be able to answer this, I'm not sure, but have you got a favourite part of the island of Ireland? <laughs> Catch me out on that one. Uh, well, of course, I'm happy to happy to advise people that there's wonderful things and experiences we had all over every part of the island. But I, I think it depends on what you're looking for. I think for me, uh, I'm in Dublin, so to me, uh, a day trip destination that's great is Belfast. I think there's uh, Titanic Belfast is a world-class experience. And early uh, in uh, next year, we're going to see a Game of Thrones uh, visitor attraction uh, studio tour that's going to be really, really world class. I think if you have a, a few days uh, to go somewhere, I think Kilkenny City is brilliant. I think it's got a fantastic combination of great food, great history, uh, things to see and do in a very compact space. You can really fill the time. I think that, that's wonderful. Or if you haven't had a full week, uh, for me, that's somewhere on the West Coast, maybe uh, rural County Galway, where there's, there's plenty of opportunity to get out into. Uh, into Connemara and up national parks and up Diamond Hill there, I strongly I strongly recommend. So it depends on what you're after. If you've time, hey, do all three. Yeah, everything from the Wild Atlantic Way to the Game of Thrones, it sounds like. There's a lot there. Um, so look, uh, before we finish, before we wrap up today, Mark, I wanted to ask you, is there, anything, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? Is there anything that you feel I've missed or any sort of important sort of message that you'd like to, to share today? Well, we've I, I, covered a huge amount of territory and thanks for the conversation, Simon. I, I'd say look up the book, right? So the book, it's in fact, An Optimist Guide to Ireland at 100. Uh, if you're Irish, there's loads of good news stories there that you may or may not know. Uh, if you're not Irish, it's equally true because really, why has Ireland been successful? What lessons there are for other nations is something I'm, I'm talking about in there as well. Uh, you can get the book anywhere at all, Amazon, you name it, on your favourite bookstore locally. Uh, and you can find out more on www.markhenry.ie. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. And we highly recommend people do take a look. There's some wonderful, wonderful information in there. And congratulations on the success of the book, Mark. So look, uh, that sort of brings us neatly wrapped up to the end of today's discussion, uh, today's show with Mark Henry. Um, please do check out, in fact, An Optimist's Guide to Ireland at 100. And please make sure to tune in again to another episode of Vista Talks, where once again, we'll be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.